welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. You can be seated this morning. And uh, we want to welcome you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for joining us. If you're online today, uh, we're, we're excited to have you here with us joining online. And uh, there's been some uh, great times that we've had as a church here. I know it's been a unique season uh, for everybody, and uh, including myself. And, and uh, we've, we've been enjoying uh, some different kinds of things happening and blessings that uh, maybe we didn't necessarily focus too much on, but now, uh, since COVID and all that has happened, it has brought in some different view of life. How many can understand that? It's brought a different view of what's important and uh, what can we live without. And so, uh, we're excited to to share God's with uh, God's word with you today. Uh, you know, today's message is on our series called "Made for More." We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 16. If you are watching online, we're going to be going to Matthew 16, Made for More. Uh, please, uh, you can look on your YouVersion Bible app, if you have that, with our message notes. Um, if you would like to look there and also type in some things, maybe the Lord's speaking to you through today's message. You can also share uh, online this service. Uh, increases our reach to people, um, not just in our community, but those who may be uh, on your friend list in Facebook or other things like that, and so we would love for you to do that as well. Um, And we're going to be looking at today uh, the key to staying motivated, the key to staying motivated. Everybody say motivation. If you're online, type that in there, motivation, motivation. We love it when our online audience participates with us. Um, Motivation. I was actually yesterday driving, and we pulled over with my family to, uh, because we were, we're going to use the restroom. My son had to go to the restroom, and we pulled over at this gas station. And there was a, when my son says he has to go to the restroom, he's got to go right now. It is not delay, okay? It is now. And so we were uh, pulled over at a gas station, and it was insane how many people were there. Uh, it was a lot of people. There was a big line, and I, and I went inside, and I said, oh, no, this isn't going to work. And so... I, and my dad or my son just kept saying, Dad, I got to use the restroom. I'm like, I know, I know, I know, I know you got to use the restroom. And so, and so we're like, I'm trying to plan things out. We had gotten my son Everett out of his car seat. And so the whole thought of trying to reload everybody, put them in the car and drive to another place, it would just take too long. And so what did I do? I looked around the area and I saw there was a pet store nearby. And I'm like, surely there's a restroom in there. And so I pick up my son, Isaiah, he's not as light as he used to be. And I just start running in flip-flops, must I say. Um, how many know, when you, when, if you have a son, if you have a daughter, uh, there are certain times where you just, you just have that motivation, like, this has got to happen, and we've got to do something now. So I run to the pet store, and I get in there, and I said, do you have a restroom? They said, no. I said, great, okay. Um, <laughs> so then I go to another place, a, a, a place that is an auto body part shop, and I walk in there. I'm not, I'm not trying to name these companies because I don't want to, 
you know, make it look like they're terrible people. And so I go into this place and I sit and I run around the, the whole building uh, inside and I see no restroom. I'm like, wonderful. Then I run into with, and I'm carrying my son. He's not as light as he used to be. It was a great workout. I needed this. It's probably the Lord speaking to me. I don't know. And so I run next to a fast food place. I'm like, surely they have a restroom. They always do. And I run in and there's water pouring out of the restroom. And I said, I am not going in there. And so pick up my son. I have to run across. I, I look both ways before I cross the street. And I run across the street with my son. We find a restroom finally at another place. And I set him down. I said, okay, we made it. And, he, and I go, you got to use the restroom? He goes, no. And I said, <laughs> I said, excuse me, what did you say? <laughs> he goes, no, I don't. I'm like, you're sure? He's like, yes, I'm sure. I don't need to go. And I said, God bless you, son. I love you. <laughs> I had some motivation there, but uh, it turned south very quickly for me, my patience level and all that good stuff. But it was a good, good illustration for today. So, um, you know, the key to staying motivated uh, is what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, we're going to talk about the main idea, which is God has, God always has more for you. Uh, everybody say always. If you're online, put that word in there, always. God always has more for you. And today we're going to talk about the key to staying motivated. Let me ask you a question. How's your motivation today? Is your motivation great? All right? Moms and dads, is your motivation great right now? Right? When you're at home and, the, you know, maybe you're like, oh, this would be great spending extra time with the family and the kids or, or whatever. Maybe your job, you're working from home. So you're at home more, and then, uh, you know, at first it may have been a blessing, and then all of a sudden you're like, what in the world is going on, right? And, uh, you know, I saw a recent poll that was uh, given out by a youth ministry uh, resource group, and they said, they sent out this, uh, e or this poll to parents, and they said, how is your stress level? Is it better, or is it much worse since COVID started? 97% said it is much worse. Their stress has greatly increased. So um, I'm looking at that 3% and I'm thinking, where did they ship their child to in a different planet? Like, where, you know, they ship them off to Mars. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's crazy to say that motivation uh, can be, can, it can change in an instant. You know, it's, it's like, I'm trying to stay motivated here, but then it's just like depressing at the same time when you see how things are unraveling in our nation and around the world and, and what has what is going on around our, our nation is, is, is a lot. I mean, you know, we're seeing, uh, you know, marriages being challenged in their own unique way. I mean, it, there are people who uh, may be enjoying this time, extra time with their spouse, but then there are, are certain marriages and situations where it has not made things better. You know, maybe you're on the side of like, wow, I get to spend time with my wife. Or you may be on the other side of that and saying, we go out to eat once a week. My wife goes on Tuesday. I go on Thursday, right? You're just like, <laughs> you're just taking, you need that time away. You know, I don't know. But, uh, you know, motivation. There's a lot of times where we were motivated with the disciplines that we had put in our life and things that maybe we thought weren't a problem and, or things that we thought we overcame. Maybe it was an addiction, a struggle, and all of a sudden it has creeped back up on you. You know, that there has been an increase as the, polls have showed that there's been an increase with people's addictions and problems that they're experiencing right now. And it's like, how do you stay motivated 
with the disciplines, the things that you used to do that you thought you were doing well at, but no longer doing very well at, um, or you've evaluated and think, man, I, I was so much better before this, and all of a sudden there's stuff that's coming out that you didn't know was there or you thought was gone. And, and so how do you stay motivated? Well, this is going to be a, a great passage of Scripture today that's going to share with you and me about the key to staying motivated. Jesus is in this chapter, Matthew chapter 16. This is a very important passage where uh, at this point, um, there is a lot of opposition towards Jesus and his ministry. If anybody has got a reason to be stressed, it would be Jesus and his disciples because opposition has increased. There are people who literally want to kill him and, and are, are, are scheming to find ways to do just that. Um, it has increased greatly. He is now taking this time, Jesus himself is taking this time to focus on his disciples because he wants to know how they view him and how do people view him, you know? And, and Jesus has spoken to large crowds. Jesus has spoken to a small group of people. So how are the crowds perceiving him? How are the disciples themselves, the people that are closest to him, how do they perceive him? And again, he hasn't died on the cross yet. He hasn't resurrected yet. And so we can understand maybe a little bit that there could be a lot of confusion. And we could also say there's still a lot of confusion about Jesus. I mean, a lot of people are confused. A lot of people misunderstand. A lot of people don't fully know Jesus and what he was all about. You see, at this point, he was described to be someone who was a compassionate healer and provider of Israel's needs up to this point in Matthew. Um, but he's been under, misunderstood by his earthly mission. He was known to be a compassionate healer as well, uh, providing for needs, provide, walking on water, calming storms at God's command, at, the, at his command. And he is worthy to be worshipped. Matthew is pointing this all out. So there's bringing a lot out here. He is, he's talking about being the teacher of God's word. People will talk about him being this guy who's got this authority. There's something different when he teaches. And um, he's also shown compassion towards Gentiles, non-Jewish people, where Jewish people were not necessarily doing. Jesus is showing that compassion, providing for their needs too, and, and showing up in their situations just as much. And so at this point, you know, you've seen up and downs. You know, you see Jesus trying to get things across to them, but they're not fully understanding. Even after this, they don't fully understand everything, even though there's some great significance that happens here. But what could be so frustrating, Jesus doesn't, what he focuses on, and I think this is where we have to focus on too, is that he doesn't focus where they are. He focuses on what they will become, what he sees in them, what he knows that they can be and they will be. And so now he's got the mission of how do I get them there? How do I get them to be who they've been called to be? How do I get them to be who they've created, been created to be? So he's preparing them for the more. He's preparing them for the more that's going to come upon their life and their mission and the life that they live out. He's preparing them for this because God always has more for you. So first point we're going to go into today is going to, both points are going to talk about the word consistency. Everybody say consistency. Consi oh, come on. Consistency. Some of you are like, consistent. we're going to consistently participate today. How about that? All right. Uh, if you're online, put that word in there. Consistency. You know, it's a word that I wish myself and everybody around in our world would, would appreciate more, right? 
For example, if, if you lose 50 pounds, how many know people are going to notice that you lost 50 pounds? They're going to say, wow, that's awesome what you did. Wow, 50 pounds. How did you do it? But what happens a year from now when you kept the 50 pounds off? You don't hear people complimenting. Wow, congratulations. One year since you kept off 50 pounds. One year, congrats. Man, you've been a parent for 10 years? Congratulations. That's awesome, right? The consistency, right? We don't, we don't see that a whole lot. We don't celebrate consistency all the time. And, and it, it happens a lot. And so consistency is an important thing that we need to rediscover. I've been learning about how to be consistent, how to develop myself consistently. How do I, how do I overcome things in my own life consistently? How do I, how do, I do this? Well, Jesus is going to show us some things that his disciples discover and how they begin to process through some of the things that are going on. You see, the first point is to consistently develop. Consistently develop. Verses 13 through 17 of Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel is a very unique Gospel. It's written mainly to Jewish people. There's, there's a lot of Scripture quoted. Um, we have four Gospels uh, if you've been in church or if you know your Bible, you know there's four Gospels. There's uh, Lord, just observations of Jesus and his ministry. All four have these uh, similar stories, but they also share some different observations. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, will share with us a very interesting uh, thing that takes place here. Let's read it in verses 13 through 17. When Jesus came... To the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Where they're at, where they've come to at this point is Caesarea Philippi. It's, it's very heavily influenced by Greek Roman culture. Uh, this place is located near the ancient city of Dan in Israel. It's the northern part of Israel, near uh, Mount Hermon, Jordan River. It is here that is very important because Jesus is now calling into account what the people say about him and what do his own disciples say about him. Calling him into account. First, he goes to the people. He goes to the crowd. Who do people say I am. Who do they think I am? It's a, it's a time and a place where, you know, there comes a day where we all stand before God and we all give an account as to what did we live for? Who did we live for? Did we live for, for Christ or do we live for ourselves? Did we live for other people's opinions and approvals? Who do we live for? And, and it says this, this is what the disciples report to him. They say, some people think you're John the Baptist. We, we read this in Matthew 14, what happens uh, with, with Herod the Tetrarch. He thought that he had killed John the Baptist. He had been beheaded. Jesus is a good friend. And John the Baptist had been beheaded because of very poor decisions by Herod himself, for, for obviously. But then he thinks this, new, this Jesus, this person he's been hearing about, has been resurrected as a John the Baptist. And so they're, they're looking and then they give another observation. Well, they, some people think you're Elijah, which the Old Testament prophet Malachi will refer to 
uh, with about Elijah and his return. He talks about this in, in Malachi. We also see about it Elijah's actual life in 1 Kings, which is another Old Testament book. Then they say he, he's, he could be Jeremiah, or he's one of the other prophets, one of the other prophets. And so they're trying, what are they doing? They're trying to compare him to somebody, right? That's what they're doing. They're comparing. And so they think, you know, even today we have people who, who what do they think about Jesus? What does our world think about Jesus? People, I've heard people say he's a good teacher, good moral guy, you know, really teaches well, some good things, good practical advice, you know, all these different things. But then in this passage, we have to understand Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. Why does he do that? Why does he refer himself as the the son of man? And I think it's important that we understand that there is a uh, perception of Jesus that was given that he did not want to associate with. He was claiming to be the Messiah, but their version of Messiah was military political figure Messiah. It was about fixing all the problems here on earth, which is not what Jesus was going to do. What he was going to do was much deeper and much greater than their capacity to understand. And so they misunderstood him. And when we look at this, we see they give an account, but they misunderstood. They misunderstood who Jesus was. And it didn't bring them to a place of salvation when they didn't identify who he really is. It's, what is Jesus? Who is he to you personally? This is what verse 15 through 17 talks about. The, he asked Jesus, well, what about you guys? You have been following me for a long time. You've seen what I have done. Who do you say I am? And Peter, who's often put himself in very awkward positions with his speech and what he would say, he says something quite amazing. He says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. He doesn't say you're just God, living God, because there's a lot of gods. He says, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus would say to him that he is blessed because that revelation was only given to him by God the Father. I mean, we read over that and we think, yeah, cool. No, do you understand that you, if you are a follower of Christ, that revelation has come from God the Father? When's the last time have I or have you celebrated the fact that you have the privilege to know Jesus? When was the last time you just thank God? Thank you for revealing to me something that is not revealed by flesh and blood, Jesus says. It is not revealed by human standard. It is revealed by the power of God. That is powerful, Jesus saying. This is something to be celebrated. The fact that you have come to know Jesus. And often what we don't do is we just say, oh yeah, that's common knowledge. It is not common knowledge. You can see the crowd misunderstood Jesus. Does our world still misunderstand Jesus? Yes, they still misunderstand. But Peter got it right in this moment. When he was called into account... For, for what he thought Jesus was, he got it right. He says, you're the son of God, the living God. You are the Messiah. It's a powerful statement that Peter makes. I think it's important, you know, to know this. And I'm going to illustrate something to you because I think it's important to know how do I consistently develop? What kept Jesus motivated was these disciples were consistently developing. He was seeing things taking place and happening 
and he believed the best was yet to come in their life, that there was so much more. I have this, this ball that my son, both my sons, love. It is Washington Wizards. I do not like the Washington Wizards. I only play this with this ball because it's something they love, okay? You know, I got this ball with the claw machine, okay? Yes, the claw machine where you spend $5 to win a 50-cent item. I'm talking about that claw machine. Because when it comes to me participating in the claw machine and playing that, it is about pride. It's not about price, right? It is is about getting this item. I know I can buy this at Walmart for 50 cents. I understand that. But there's something different when you win it in the claw machine. And so my son wanted to win something. Isaiah, he's four. And I I was like, all right, we're going to win this thing. And so eventually, I didn't win it on the first try. Eventually, we did win. And so I've had this ball for quite a while now. And so my son likes to play catch with this ball only. And plus, it doesn't hurt him if he misses, right? And so it's very soft. So I throw it to him. He throws it back to me. I throw it to him. He keeps, I say, keep, my, keep your eyes fixed on me because if I throw it and you're not looking, it's going to hit you. And, you know, and so attention spans, you know. And so I throw it to him. He catches. He throws it back to me. And as long as he's focused on me, he's catching it, right? He's catching the ball most of the time. He's working on that development, right? But then I have my 11-month-old son, Everett. He, he doesn't walk yet. He sits, and, and he watches us do this. And then I'll roll it to my son, Everett. And what does he do? He picks it up, and he tries to throw it. And it kind of goes to me. It kind of doesn't. Sometimes it hits him on the head, and it rolls to me. But he gets it, right? He understands that... I throw the ball to, to dad. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw the ball in his own unique way. Now, this is where my son Isaiah gets in trouble. What he, what he does is he compares the fun that I have with Everett with the fun he's having with me. So what does he do? He inserts himself in Everett's position by pushing him out of the way, right? And shoving him over to the side. And then he sits down. And then he's like, throw me the ball. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're going to have a little talk here, right? How many, and you learn, a, you learn a lot, you know, when, when it comes to looking at kids. Because this is, happens a lot in our society. This happens with us. We keep, our, we keep our eyes focused on God. And he's developing you personally. But the killer of development is comparison. It is comparison that kills your development spiritually. God has created you uniquely. God has created you to do things that no one on this earth may ever do. You may come in contact with people that you may never, that I may never see, and I probably won't see. But guess what? You'll see them. And what will kill your development and your faith is comparison. When you think, well, they're having fun, or, or what they do, I wish I could have their life. I wish I could have their house. I wish I could have their car. I wish I could have the size paycheck they have. I wish I could have their job and all these different things we wish to have. And what it does is distracts you from the calling God has placed on your own life. God has given us very general things that we can do, but there are also very specific things. The general part is that we are all called to be, we are all called to be prayer warriors. We're all called to pray, to connect with God. That's what it means. We're all called to read and study God's word because you've got to know the truth about what God thinks about society and our world and how do we impact it. You've got to know it because it will be very hard when you try to take those evaluations from people and systems and policies. It will get confusing and you will start to lose sight 
of the will of God for our planet and what he wants to do in people. There are very general things we can do. We can share our faith. We can be a part of the community of believers. That is something God calls all believers to do. It is a very practical approach that we all can do. But there are also very specific things that we're called to do. There are some things very important. But what will kill our development is when we compare our calling to somebody else's. That will kill it. And what you'll do is you'll be more cynical than you are grateful. You'll be more, you'll, you'll evaluate your life and say, well, I'm not making much of a difference. I don't know the Bible as well as, as, as Pastor Bobby or Pastor Daniel or Pastor Paul or Pastor John. I don't know the Bible as well, so why read it? Because God wants to reveal something specifically to you. There's something God is wanting to do. He's wanting to develop you. You may be somebody who's new in the faith. You may be curious about it. You may be somebody who's been following Christ for, for 10 years, 20 years, who knows. But we're all called to consistently develop. And when we have our eyes fixed on God the Father and not on people, not what everybody else is doing, when we have our eyes fixed on God the Father, that's why I tell my son, keep your eyes on me and, in, and let's have fun together in our own unique way, in our own kind of relationship. But it gets tricky and it gets bad when he looks and he sees a different observation. That's when things get messed up. When we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, when we keep our eyes fixed on God the Father, he will develop you in a unique way, in a way that only he has called you to be. You are not called to be Bobby Hackett. You are called to be you. I have things I can learn from when it comes to people and what they do. I can learn from that. But as soon as I go to comparison, then I'm in trouble. It's a, it's a temptation for everybody. I'm not, I'm not exempt from that. But when we do that, we're going to stop our development and our faith with the Lord. Because you know what? There are things God has called you to do that no one else in this room God is calling to do. I may be called a pastor, but you may be called to run a business. You may be called to, to be a missionary. You may be called to work at this place, to be in this neighborhood, to follow, you know, uh, follow the, the steps of some business organization. I don't know. God has called us all to something. That's the important thing. So put that in the comments if you're watching online. Comparison is a killer. Comparison is a killer of development. I'm going to put that over here because I don't want my son to see it. Okay. Um, the second thing that we need to, to focus on is this, consistently overcoming. Everybody say overcoming. Put that in the comments, overcoming, overcoming. That is such an important thing in our relationship with God. It says this in verse 18, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now, what this is important to know is that this is a very bold thing God is, Jesus is saying to, to Peter directly. He's speaking directly to Peter because he's letting Peter know the role he's going to play. He has unlocked a revelation that God the Father has granted him. At the same time, he is not necessarily going to be the pillar that grows the church for all of eternity, because guess what? Peter's no longer here on this earth. He played a foundational role, though. He played a, a pivotal role 
and the development and the foundation of the church. And you see that because in the book of Acts where the church is, is getting built up, we see Peter basically disappear from the scene in Acts 16. And there's, there's many more chapters to go. He disappears from the scene. Why? Because the big foundation of the church has been set. And so this is the thing Jesus is seeing Peter do. This is the role he's playing. He's unlocking the kingdom of heaven and the gates of Hades will not prevail. You know what gates are meant to do? They're meant to keep the enemy out. So what is he telling Satan? The gates are not going to stop the church. The gates were meant to keep people out. It's meant to keep God out, but it's not keeping the people of God out. It's not going to work. It's getting unlocked, and we're coming in, and your time of reign is now over. He is, I mean, do you see the powerful imagery? What Jesus is saying, the gates were meant to keep people out, and he's saying it's not going to keep them out. They're not going to be able to overcome it. It'll be too powerful. This powerful imagery Matthew is, is sharing with us. And as we look through this, there are several battles we will see Peter overcome, not on his own, but when he realizes his identity. He realizes his calling. Because we'll see later, Peter start to compare his life to other people again, and that's where Peter finds himself in trouble. It's when he starts to do that. When he starts to look for the acceptance of other people rather than following the mission that God had called him to be in this moment. He gets sidetracked, and then he, lose, he loses his development until he gets back on track. This is vital. You know, when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, it's been unlocked. We can now share and preach the gospel and call people to salvation through Jesus Christ because the kingdom of heaven has been unlocked. The power of it has been unfolded to our world, and the disciples have shown us the way to do it. We preach the good news, yes, to a crowd of people, but we can also share. We know the steps to take as a believer. You know the steps if you're a follower of Christ. The Bible tells us this, to confess with your mouth he is Lord and believe in your heart that he's risen from the dead and you will be saved. What a powerful statement. Why are they able to say it? Because they've seen it firsthand. They've experienced it themselves. They've seen how Jesus operated in his life. They saw what he did. They saw who he reached out to. And all, they didn't have all the dots connected here in Matthew 16. We see their struggles still. But guess what? They're consistently developing and they're consistently overcoming things in their own life personally. Because God always has more for you. Always. He always has more for you. And then we see the, the interesting passage Jesus brings out, or an interesting part of this. It says, don't tell the people that I'm the Messiah. Some people get confused by that statement. Very quickly, I want to share that with you. Basically, what he's trying to say is, we've already talked about it, they have the, the idea of Messiah, right? Military, political figure. That's not the person that he is going to portray. That is not the, the, the perception he is going to portray. So there are some things that still have to happen for them to fully see the real Messiah God was sending, the real true Messiah that God was sending to earth. The, what he was really going to do. Because on one hand, you do have the devil who's trying to stop the plan. You do have the enemy. If, if the devil knew that putting Jesus on the cross, putting him in a tomb was going to bring victory, he wouldn't have done it, right? He wouldn't have done that. That would have been a terrible idea. So there are things that there were yet to be revealed, but then they are revealed. And now people are called into account. What do you say about Jesus? And are you consistently developing? Are you consistently comparing? 
Are you consistently overcoming? Are you consistently avoiding? When you avoid, you don't overcome. This is an important thing. Here, I'll illustrate it this way. How do you consistently overcome? Caesarea Philippi, that's where they are, right? I'm going to bring out some imagery here, so you need to follow me. Online people, follow me with this. It's going to be very important. Caesarea Philippi is a very important place where Jesus is making this declaration. Herod the Great, back in 19 BC, before Jesus came to earth, he built this temple of Augustus to honor his Caesar, their God. In other words, it's a, their, their leader. They called him a God. This temple was built out of white marble, very beautiful structure. It was built in front of this cave in Caesarea Philippi. That was believed to be the gateway to the underworld. Gateway to wickedness. Gateway to wicked power. Inside of this home, they considered it to be their Greek god, Pan. Or Pan. I don't know how to say it necessarily. But inside this cave, this water flowed out and it fed the Jordan River. They considered this water inside this cave to be bottomless. Because every time they tried to measure it, they couldn't measure it. It just kept going down, 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 down. And so they believed there was a God that was there. And so they would, what they would do, they would do several wicked things. I'm not going to share all of them, but I will share. They did do uh, animal sacrifices. They would throw them into the body of water in that cave. If it floated, it would, it would be this decision. If it sank, they would make this decision. This was a common practice. They also did very other wicked things. That, there are very extreme things, very wicked. But it was the gateway to evil. Much evil was done there. It was their way of, of communicating with the demonic beings. Their way of communicating. They wanted to know. It was basically fortune-telling, seer. That's what they were looking at. And so, as Jesus is standing in Caesarea Philippi, he is speaking to the seen and the unseen, the good and the evil. And he says this to those disciples. He's, I can imagine the disciples, the imagery and the power of when he's saying it, where he is saying it, Caesarea Philippi. They would know about this structure. Everybody knew. It couldn't be missed. It was beautiful in its structure, but rotting inside. It was not the plan that God had for people. And this is what they did. It says, Jesus is declaring the path to victory for the church, for the kingdom of heaven. And he's saying to Satan at his doorstep, you're done. Your reign of terror, the reign of death is over. You're finished. Because upon this rock, I'm building my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail. They will not overcome it. It's a powerful imagery. He's saying we have victory in Christ. And he's saying it to the seen and the unseen in that moment. The good and the evil. So how do you consistently overcome? You declare Jesus. You declare his, his love for people. You do it in a way that brings honor and glory to him. So you don't run from problems. You address them. How... There is a battle for human souls, Jesus is saying, and the war is coming, and he's telling the devil, you didn't win, you lost. Before he even dies on the cross, he says, it's already over. You're finished. You can't stop it. It's over. 
There is a battle for human souls. This is why Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, says our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and principalities of this dark world. It's against the spiritual forces of evil. So our battle is not to fight government leaders. It's to pray for them. When we understand that our witness matters more than anything, we understand we are here to call and we're called to reach all people. We don't exclude. We reach everybody. We pray for them. We say, God, give them wisdom. I may disagree, but Lord, I pray that you will give them a revelation that you gave to Peter because God is able to do that. He's able to show us the way. So we don't run from conflict. We don't run from problems. We solve them. We go to them. What problems and conflict are happening in your family? Are you avoiding it or are you trying to solve it in a way that honors the Lord? You want to see victory? You want to see overcoming? You've got to address it. We want to see victory in the church? We've got to address things in our church. Or you've got to address things personally in your life, in your workplace. You've got to address it. Because if you want to see victory, you've got to address the issues and the problems that we are facing today. If you want to see it. Because what can happen is you can gain a lot of information and knowledge about how to overcome, but you never overcome. And that's when Christianity gets boring because it's not Christianity you're following. It's called idleness. It's called being idle. It's not doing anything. You know the information, you just don't do it. It's being idle. Paul, the Apostle Paul warns people against that. He says Christianity is about overcoming. It's about overcoming the obstacles we're facing. What problems, situations in your home, in your work environment, or whatever, another believer, in your marriage, with your kids, what are problems have you avoided? Because maybe the victory, the overcoming power of God is in that situation. Because he's letting Satan know in this passage, you're done, and there's a battle for human souls that's coming, and it's already over. I won. And he didn't even... We didn't even see it unfold until later. What a powerful thing to stay motivated by. What a powerful thing for the disciples to realize. To consistently develop, to consistently overcome. It is about addressing the situations in our world, in our personal lives, that we have been called to overcome. Because God doesn't see you where you are presently. He sees what you will become. I don't care if you're five. I don't care if you're 90. There's still more for you to do because you're here. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads and we're going to have the worship team come. And we're going to ask the Lord to be with us here this morning. If you're here watching online, I encourage you to help us know how we can pray for you in just a moment. But if you would like to receive Jesus Christ, because again, this is a moment where Jesus calls the crowd into account and he calls the disciples into account. Who do you say I am. Who, I'm, he's not a good teacher. He didn't claim to just be a good teacher. He didn't claim to just be a good moral person. He claimed to be God in flesh. So he's either telling the truth or he lied. There are people that have to make that decision all across our world. The Bible says we come into account before God one day. And we have to say, and we'll, we'll be identified by by our life, and about who we're following. Did we follow people? Did we follow ourselves? Or did we follow Jesus? Or was our faith with him? With every head bowed here this morning, with your eyes closed, if that's you, if you're online, put in the...
comments the word Jesus. Just put that in there simply to say, I am going to follow Jesus. I'm claiming that he is the son of God who died for my sins and he rose from the dead. And now that resurrection power is going to live in me because I'm inviting him in because he desires to change and transform your life. If you're here today and you would like to do that, simply slip up your hand and say, that's me today. I am making that claim today that Jesus will be my Lord and Savior. He is my Messiah. He is my King. He is the one who would transform me. Thank you so much. If you're here today and you need prayer, we're going to have prayer in just a moment. We're going to worship the Lord together. But I want you to begin to think about what God is wanting to do in your life because he has more for you. And we're going to, if you can stand to your feet today and as we play this song together, you can have, we have a couple of prayer teams that will be up here. We'd love to pray for you. If you're battling something in your life personally, in your family or in your workplace, ask the Lord for wisdom, ask for clarity, ask the Lord the directions and the steps to take and give you the boldness to do what he has called you to do because he's going to bring you his wisdom and he's going to help you walk through it. If you want to get prayer today, we have prayer teams up here. If you want prayer online, just let us know how we can pray for you. If you're battling something today, we want to pray for you. If you're here and you have a situation on your mind, I can't address every situation, but I do know this, that you can worship God because you have the victory. It may not look the way you think it's going to look, but guess what? God holds it in his hands and he desires all good things to his children. He says, I will work all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So let's today, this morning, whatever you're dealing with today, let's lift up our hands, let's worship the Lord and let's praise him because he's developing us into who he's called us to be as people, the fathers, the mothers, the grandfathers, the grandparents, aunts and uncles, the work people, whoever, we're called to be overcomers. And so let's give him praise for that and let's declare victory in the circumstances we're facing personally. Let's do that together. Let's sing what the worship team.